Welcome to Chattachesis. I'm your host, Deacon Matt Hallback, PhD, and I'm also a deacon of the Diocese of Des Moines, Iowa. I'm your host of Chattachesis, a podcast series for clergy that helps them find creative and fresh ways to share the gospel message and promote missionary discipleship. This episode is brought to you by Sadler's newest catechetical series, Christ in Us and Cristo in Nosotros, which partners with families to help them play an active and meaningful role in their child's faith formation. Learn more at sadlierreligion.com forward slash CIU. Today, I'm very pleased to have as my guest, Father Dave Fleming, who's pastor of St. Pius X Parish and School in Urbandale, Iowa, close to my backyard. Father Dave, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, thank you, Matt. Good to uh, be with you today. And uh, uh, here in the uh, Des Moines area, it's uh, cold and rainy and a beautiful fall day. Yay. Yeah, beautiful, in quotes. And uh, we'll, we'll light it up a little bit with our conversation, you know, and uh, we'll bring some sunshine in with that. So, Father, why don't you tell our listeners who are priests and deacons a little bit about yourself and about your parish? Sure. Um, so, I said, my name is Father Dave Fleming, and I was ordained in 1990 uh, for the Diocese of Des Moines after studying and finishing studies at uh, the North American College in Rome. Um, over the years, I've had positions uh, uh, our chancery office as uh, vocation director, chancellor, vicar general, uh, doing pastoral planning for the diocese. Um, on top of that, I've been pastor at a small rural parish in our diocese, which our diocese as a whole is southwest Iowa. It's predominantly rural. Um, had a, another pastorate in Council Bluffs, Iowa, uh, next door to Omaha. And uh, uh, currently I'm uh, pastoring at St. Pius X and um, this parish, it's a, uh, I'll say it's probably middle or upper middle class kind of demographic. And um, um, we have about 1,750 households. Um, we have a, a school with about 350 kids, um, pre-K through eight, uh, eighth grade. And um, um, fairly large uh, pastoral staff, I suppose, by our standards, we have about... Um, Oh, about 12 either full-time or part-time people on our parish staff. Um, of course, and all the school staff on top of that. And uh, like I said, it's, uh, uh, the parish itself has been in existence uh, since about 1958. And uh, so it's, it's, um, uh, it's been a, still a growing parish and um, kind of new people moving in and out, a lot of transitioning. Um, probably our, uh, uh, primarily we are kind of a, just a, I said a middle class, middle upper class white <laughs> parish, mm-hmm. uh, Anglo parish. Although we do have uh, some uh, number of people for, uh, from from India, um, uh, we have some Africans, mm-hmm. um, a growing number of Hispanic, uh, Latino people in the in the parish. So the, it's starting to uh, diversify a bit that way. Um, but uh, yeah, so that, that's kind of the breakdown of our parish a little bit. And just for our listeners, a little background, the Diocese of Des Moines has had a long history with Catholic Relief Services and being sort of a hub for uh, migrants and refugees. And, and we, it's, it might sound strange to hear that we have uh, people from around the world represented here and living here in Iowa. And some of them are at St. Pius X and a lot of them are at our cathedral. But um, it's because of that longstanding relationship, especially with Catholic Relief Services. And I'm really proud of the fact that our church does such a good job and is so solicitous of, of making room, as it were, for these people uh, in our church and in our little spot in the world. So, Yeah, we have been blessed. Even going, I think a lot of that starts going back even to the 70s with uh, 
former Governor Robert Ray during the, uh, at the end of the Vietnam War, brought in a lot of uh, refugees from Cambodia, Laos, Vietnam, so a lot of Asian refugees. And then um, in more recent years, uh, primarily because of our agricultural production needs, we have a lot of immigrants from uh, Mexico, Central America, South America, are finding their way to us as well. So yeah, it's good. a lot of diversity for being kind of a middle, middle of the nowhere uh, state that people usually think about in terms that's, of life. That's right. When, when well, you're a flyover state, but when you fly over us, you're flying over a cross section of the world. So, absolutely. You yeah. know, it is kind of unique that way. It is kind of unique that way. And uh, um, so that, that's, that's a good start. So let's jump into the questions uh, that we have today for you, Father. And uh, I wanted to start with, and we'll link to your parish website as we always do with each episode. Um, that's an important resource. Uh, I really... I'll just say this. I appreciated what I saw with regards to your confirmation prep pro process and specifically what I saw there that I found unique and refreshing and so important is that you have interviews that are a part of the process. And it sounds like an interview with both the candidate and parents. Um, you're really highlighting the importance of the candidate trusting uh, the minister, uh, uh, to help them, the, the, the future mentor that will be assigned to him or her. And that's the last piece I uh, wanted to talk about was the role of mentorship in your confirmation process. And a little bit about, and, and we'll reiterate it again, because it's a lot to ask in one question, a little bit about this cool acronym, HABITS, and why yes. that's significant for the confirmation process. So let's dive into it. What's going on for con with confirmation at St. Pius the Temple? Okay, well, uh, give it just a little bit of history. Uh, in uh, probably over the last 25, 30 years, uh, historically in our diocese, the age of confirmation was more middle school based, uh, usually like sixth through eighth grade. Um, then uh, a number of years ago, uh, a former bishop, Bishop Pates, uh, decided uh, he wanted to make the age kind of to the, kind of the maximum general age of around 16, which would be sophomores in high school. So our diocese went through quite a bit of transformation process to kind of move in that direction and kind of to reshape our confirmation programs. So kind of that was, uh, at that time, just parishes all over the diocese, of course, are trying to respond to that, that change. Obviously dealing with a whole different kind of age group of young people. Um, the, um, from that, um, uh, when I came on board here at St. Pius, uh, they really were still kind of in that transitioning mode. They hadn't really developed a kind of a new plan for confirmation. Uh, so we kind of started at ground zero looking at kind of what were the best practices out there that we could see and meeting the needs of our young people. I think we were um, very much of the mindset that sometimes just all, you know, just doing it how it's always been done is not necessarily the way to do it anymore mm -hmm. <laughs> or for the sake of just doing it that way. Uh, recognizing that, you know, we have a lot of kids that oftentimes when you talk about confirmation programs, they tend to probably see it as just kind of jumping through hoops, getting through the process, getting confirmed. And then sadly, we, a lot of times you don't see these kids that often, mm -hmm. uh, at least connected to the parish community. Mm -hmm. um, not sure how their relationship is with the church, let alone relationship with Christ. Uh, so kind of those, those question marks before us, we, uh, again, just tried to look around the country to see, you know, where we saw some things maybe that were sparking a, um, 
a close relationship uh, with young people and their relationship with Christ and the, and the church and even their parish communities. So, um, so a couple of things came up, I think, out of that. You know, one of the things you mentioned is the idea of trust. And um, one thing we've discovered, and it's, it's been a lot of research lately and, and just pastoral practice, um, uh, comes to mind, Sherry Waddell's work with intentional discipleship and uh, other groups, uh, organizations and movements like that. Um, mm -hmm. Realizing that with people today, especially younger people, that it's not enough just to come at them with, you know, great, you know, uh, kind of theological or spiritual, you know, ideas, uh, uh, doctrines, teachings, etc. cetera, mm -hmm. um, that uh, for, especially for young people today and probably people in general, actually, or, you know, younger generations, at least, um, they aren't really going to be predisposed to listen to you unless they have a sense of personal trust mm. that uh, even if they're, you know, not sure what you're, you know, what you're selling, if they at least trust you as a person and have a relationship with you, they're more inclined to enter into a deeper experience of what we're exposing them to uh, and mm -hmm. trying to invite them to look at. I so, agree. And, and we yeah. see that we see that going back to Jesus and the gospels. He's that he doesn't just appear out of nowhere and, and do some marvelous things and leave. He he establishes relationships with people. Yeah. Particularly those that he will later call his disciples. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean it's it's very gospel based, obviously. And I think the challenge sometimes for people in ministry, um, and it's my own challenge at times, because I tend to be I can I come from kind of a more philosophical academic kind of mindedness, <laughs> um, a more rationalist kind of approach to things uh, on one hand. And um, uh, whereas, you know, recognizing the need just to build these relationships with people. And again, I want to hear it seems obvious, right? But, um, uh, but the need to really, yeah, <laughs> but, but the need to really um, put that energy and that effort into that um, while not, you know, regulating um, good teaching and stuff to the side, um, it requires us to really give her kind of a reshaping, refocus of what we're doing uh, pastorally. And again, again, the other pitfall we fall into in catechesis a lot of times in parishes is, um, you know, we've kind of always done it this way or been doing it this way for a long time. We've got these programs uh, and it's more like we exist more for the program than the program for the, mm. you know, for the people. So, mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so developing the idea of trust and, and part of how we, uh, tried to get at that here at St. Pius. I mean, and none of this, by the way, is new or novel to us. We are just um, doing our best to glean other things happening around uh, the country. Um, one element was the focusing on, on small groups. Again, you kind of mentioned that. Um, rather than having all the kids come for big sessions or something, uh, um, we decided we would look at our curriculum, at least from the curriculum perspective, uh, initially, it was kind of based around some materials from Life Teen and some other um, uh, other curriculum that's out there, um, and we kind of, as as most catechists do uh, in par at the parish level, uh, at least I think successful catechists, they kind of start to sift and sort and put together kind of an amalgam of things um, around kind of a standard, mm -hmm. you know, some standard principles and and. Uh, uh, themes that we want to get across with the kids during during confirmation, but we uh, formed small groups. And again, those small groups were kind of, uh, to the best of our ability, we discerned 
uh, who would be in those different groups. Uh, we have no more than, I think, five kids in a group. They're, they're all same-sex groups. Um, again, that we felt that was allow for better dynamic amongst that age of kids, especially. Um, and by discerning, we look at kind of the, their own kind of personalities, uh, how well may, they may or may not know one another, and all those kind of elements. Um, so we discern who was part of the group, and then we'd also then identify um, mentors. And yes. again, these are uh, kind of proven adult leaders in, in our parish community who uh, many of them have had some previous experience with catechesis and formation uh, as catechists or teachers or just strong faith-filled people <laughs> who have had some formation. We do some extra training training with them. And so we would also then kind of discern, you know, try to match the mentor with the kids as well to see, again, to get the best group. Uh, and that's where our, our confirmation coordinator, uh, Samantha Montaigne, uh, follow Sam, um, that's kind of what she primarily works on in conjunction with the other staff who know these people. And so and Father, that, if, I can, yeah. if I can jump in real quick now, sure. let's make a distinction. It's an important one. The sponsor is not the same thing as the mentor in this Correct. Process, Correct. Right? Yeah. Could, right. you, could you talk a little bit more about that difference between the sponsor, which we all know about, and how you're using a mentor? Correct. So, yeah, as we know, again, a sponsor is someone who, uh, generally, it's hopefully someone that uh, the Confirmandi know and has a relationship with that's more immediate and active that can be kind of a one-on-one -on -one personal support for them in their pursuit of faith, to be a resource for them, uh, uh, et cetera, to pray for them. Whereas the mentor um, uh, is really there to help guide this group and to kind of just be a um, kind of a facilitating presence uh, with kind of the, the themes, the topics at hand. Um, and the mentor is really there to serve both as kind of a uh, as a kind of a spiritual guide, uh, somewhat of a friend, uh, but with a certain level of that they're also the person who kind of brings accountability uh, to the group and is willing to talk about that and deal with that both in a group context as well as one on one when the kids might need that uh, to you know, bring up any issues or concerns that they may be seeing um, to give them some direction. Um, and uh, those relationships, um, maybe it's a little bit, just getting ahead of the game a little bit, but uh, we found even that over the course of several years that we've been doing this model that all of those mentoring relationships continue on. Uh, and I mean, just in terms of the relationship with the comfort, a specific confirmation mm -hmm. student and the mentor down the road. Um, oftentimes, you know, calling them up for just guidance, little direction, support. And um, so it, it does have a carryover effect. Well, that doesn't happen all the time. And certainly when we do all this, you know, it's never like 100% perfect matching on yeah. everything. But we found that the groups certainly have been very successful. They, they develop, a, being a small group dynamic, they develop a sense of intimacy uh, in terms of the comfortability with sharing, um, you know, kind of more personal thoughts, again, from their perspective, their concerns. It's, uh, it's not just you sitting down and having a little mini classroom experience. It's meant to be more of a, a, a faith-sharing environment uh, where they, yes, they do talk about, again, principles and themes of, uh, related to the sacrament of confirmation and preparation for that. But it's uh, meant to be a time where they really come to a deeper understanding of uh, Christian fellowship, faith-sharing, um, and support for one another. 
So anything we can do these days, to, especially with young people, um, and there's some really interesting uh, research coming out of an organization called the Springtide Research Group, which I'm not, I don't know if you're aware of, but it's, it's a fairly new group doing some very fascinating studies. In fact, I'll send you a, a copy of, it's a free download of a study they did on belonging uh, among uh, young people ages 15 to 25. Right. And uh, the loneliness that people are experiencing these days. So anything we can do to connect young people in meaningful ways with one another, so peer-to-peer and also in a, in a mentor-type situation uh, where we can build these bonds of trust and acceptance and belonging, all the better, and all the better for their faith formation, all the better for the community at large. It just it pays dividends in so many ways. My question for you about, and you might have hit this already, about the mentor. So this person is part group facilitator, part uh, spiritual director, in quotes, we'll say, right, or, yeah. you know, uh, doing a lot of things here. You, do you offer some kind of training, and did you develop that training yourself for the mentor? Yeah, so we do some training with with uh, with the mentors. Um, um, again, our, our confirmation coordinator kind of has put that together, and they, again, it's kind of an amalgam of things. That mm-hmm. I know we've got some resources from. Um, uh, yeah, I'm blanking. It's one of the uh, I think the diocese in South Dakota that uh, kind of was we picked up on some of this. Um, but we, yeah, we have some training resources, and I apologize it's not coming to mind right now uh, okay. that we use with them. And uh, they do as well periodic uh, gathering with the, just the mentors collectively to kind of process and their experiences as well as give them some trainings and update. Again, things about, you know, how, how do you ask, you know, even like things like how do you kind of ask open-ended questions, you know, especially with young people to engage them, to encourage them. Um, you know, again, obviously just some basic pedagogical techniques in, in terms of, you know, Again, how do we draw draw the the confirmande into the confirm uh, into the conversation mm-hmm. rather than just you know sitting around talking at them? So, um, but also again, it is kind of a hybrid because also with some you know the, the realities of um, uh, kind of a spiritual direction process where it's rather than trying to you know tell the kids spiritually what is or is not happening with them is to keep kind of bringing it back to them to have them try to really discern and learn how to discern and recognize how is God working in this and how is God working in my life and to really, again, help them to really grow uh, into discipleship. So uh, important. Yeah. Um, before we got about eight minutes left, and I want to make sure we get to the second part of our discussion sure. here. But you have an interesting acronym that kind of serves as a guide for confirmation, and, and it's the word habits. What does that mean? Yes, so it is an acronym. It's Habits of Discipleship. Um, again, this is something we found somewhere else. Like again, I can't. I, I'm sorry, I can't cite the source. Okay. <laughs> um, but the, yeah, so uh, the habits stand for this. So the H is uh, hang time with God. <laughs> okay, so it's God. it's really uh, the idea of uh, inviting people into kind of regular personal prayer, a relationship with Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, they can encompass again retreats, adoration, lectio divina, private care prayer, spiritual direction, guidance, all those things, is how do we, it's about having to be intentional with making time for that personal relationship with, with Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what H is stand for. A is accountability with the followers of Christ. So accountability, again, this is where our small group process comes into play. Um, and again, they meet formally six times uh, in terms of the formal formation process for confirmation. 
Um, but outside of that, they can call upon each other and, and you know, kind of more one-on-one -on -one or uh, gather independently for support with one another. And the mentors provide that uh, accountability. Again, uh, it's a way of recognizing that, you know, it's not just between me and Jesus or it's, uh, that there is, you know, there are consequences to my actions. There are ramifications to my choices, all those things. So accountability as the body of Christ. Uh, the letter B, uh, it just stands for Bible. And basically it's, how do we open Get up your our Bible out? Start looking right. at it. Get Bible in a <laughs> Get into context, it. not just <laughs> the, the, not just the canon of scripture, yeah. but our whole understanding, our whole theology, our, our understanding of God's revelation to us um, from theological, spiritual, moral elements of our faith that they grow in that understanding and are open to that. Uh, the I is involvement in the parish. Again, this is something that, um, can be real challenge with young people, especially at this age that we use, I said around the age of 16, they're so involved with all their school activities and everything else going on. But it's important for us to, again, that they see their connection, not just in the small group context, which they can tend to be very important for them, but that they are part of something bigger and that the whole understanding of what parish is, I think is in a whole state of transformation these days anyway, but, but um, it's to link them to that bigger picture. The T is for tithing. And again, here it's not just about financial tithing, but the whole concept of stewardship of um, uh, primarily initially looking at the discernment of their own gifts, who they are, what they have to offer, and in encouraging them to see that as all God give all gifts are God given that they're called to then to be shared in some way for the kingdom. And the last letter S is sacraments and sacramentals. So again, just that uh, the communal life of grace that we share uh, through the sacraments, through sacramentals with Eucharist, of course, being kind of primary for us. So um, all their elements, of, uh, what we ask them to do, for example, uh, we ask them to kind of identify some concrete ways how they're going to live out each one of these, you know, uh, each of these letters is, is in the acronym in some concrete way. And mm -hmm. that's also part of the accountability process. Just, mm -hmm. again, not that we, it's not like a pass or fail thing, but, but that <laughs> we say, how are you doing with these elements that you said sure. you're going to make an effort to do this this year? So... Well, there, that's what there habits have, is all about. There you have it, listeners. Habits is a wonderful way to organize your confirmation uh, program. It's an easy uh, acronym to remember and to employ. And I want to say something real quick about accountability. There's There's been oodles of, of research done with young adults in particular um, about uh, what motivates meaning, meaningfulness, what makes meaning for them. Uh, accountability is a big part of that picture and they, they want to be held accountable. Yeah. There's a value in that. And uh, I'm glad that you're doubling down on that father. Well, no, I, I agree. It's, it's idea like if this, if this really has value, um, it's going to mean something. Mm -hmm. If it's just, uh, you know, and that's where accountability says, you know, this has value. And if it has value, I'm willing to give myself over to this. And part of that is then being kind of accountability to that. Um, uh, rather than just something you kind of give and take as you want, um, that it, it kind of leads us into a, a greater responsibility for discipleship. That's right. We're moving on here. We got a few minutes left, and I want to hit an important topic, uh, which I think uh, a lot of our listeners will have an experience of, and that is if you're a pastor with a parish and a school, or if you're a deacon or an associate priest that works in that setting. And I think uh, it's a very common experience that there be some tension between school and parish, certainly around finances, but also just around a vision and how we, uh, our role or the respective roles in forming young people. 
Over at St. Pius X, uh, you have a parish and a school. Uh, how do you see the parish and school working together, cooperating to form young people there? Okay. Probably on a very, uh, can I start on a very pragmatic level, one thing that they've been doing here, it predates my coming here as pastor, uh, but we continue to do it. When it comes to sacramental preparation, um, that oftentimes is, you know, sometimes you might have two simultaneous programs almost between the faith formation yeah. <laughs> element and then the school. For us, we have a, a combined faith formation, or excuse me, sacramental preparation process. So uh, primarily uh, with our second graders who are preparing for sacraments of reconciliation and, and Eucharist, um, that uh, we have, we bring parents together for uh, at least two different parent sessions. And this is parents of all of our kids that are in uh, preparing for the sacraments, whether they're in school or, or in faith formation program. Um, we have a common curriculum that we use with them. We invite parents and families to do, to work with their young people together. So it kind of across the board, uh, you know, just even on a practical level, it's coordinated as a unified process. Um, and same with confirmation. Uh, so whether, again, the, although there wouldn't be in a grade school, but uh, whether in the Catholic high school we have in, here in Des Moines or when the other public schools that, Again, they're, they're all put together in different contexts and, and go together. Um, uh, so again, for a sacramental preparation with our young people, that's a very combined kind of effort. Uh, so that's, that's one way. Um, in terms of even our, our um, physical use of space, <laughs> um, we use our school building both for, obviously for school classes during the day, but our, we use uh, most of the school space, a lot of the school space classrooms for information activities in the evenings. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so there's cross crossing over of that. Um, we have, uh, uh, sometimes we even have some school parents who serve as catechists for faith formation kids. So that's an interesting uh, yeah. mix. Um, and uh, so again, we just try to bring them together as much as possible. We have a really strong relationship with the school administration and teachers in terms of the, you know, again, the physical use of the building, but even the idea that this is a common mission. So we see all these things as it's all parish. Right. That was my, that was my next question actually was from an administrative standpoint, for example, does the school board ever meet with faith formation team or with the DRE, et cetera, you know, things like yeah, that. We, we've, we've done that in the past. Periodically we try to interconnect them. Um, uh, we, like when we have formal school board meetings, um, we will uh, at least once or twice a year, we, we connect up with our faith formation staff and to make those connections in, in that kind of way. We also, just throughout the year, our parish staff and our school religion teachers primarily uh, are always in communication together and doing some common uh, work together and kind of cross crossing over programs and things we do. Um, um, we've also know the unique aspect uh, historically to our faith formation we've done. Um, we have embraced catechesis of the Good Shepherd as one of our models of catechesis along with, let's say, a more traditional kind of classroom approach to catechesis mm -hmm. uh, for our younger students. Um, for our middle school students, we have a program called EDGE, which is more of a kind of a in-between kind of a classroom model and more kind of communal activities, similar to some like the, maybe live teen approach or those kind of initiatives. More of a youth ministry feel. More of a youth ministry format. And then, and yeah. then our high school youth ministry is, uh, again, it's uh, um, it's much more engaged with activities, group activities, small group activities, 
Um, so it kind of grows in that direction. And again, all those are cross currents with, you know, school kids and non, and non uh, St. Pius school kids. So we're always bringing kids together that way. And, and generally we, we've had, uh, we really encourage that kind of cross pollination sometimes, you know, um, where, you know, we, we have, we've had those kind of, I don't know if it's tensions or just different cultural realities uh, between kind of school and non uh, Catholic school and non-Catholic school parents where, or, or kids, uh, sometimes the parents think, well, my kids go to Catholic school, you know, six hours a day. Uh, why do they need to, you know, go to the high school faith formation group uh, in the evening <laughs> um, mm-hmm. or youth ministry stuff? Mm-hmm. And, and I'm, I understand that, but again, it's a whole, it's kind of apples and oranges really, but we try to, help them to bridge those connections so so i guess yeah so those are some ways we try to bring them together we've had a pretty good success with that um we don't run into too much of the us and them approach we've mm-hmm. uh, at least in more recent years i think we've kind of moved beyond that for the most part so one last question we have about a minute here and then we'll close with a uh, we'll say our thank yous and then we'll ask you for a blessing um this is a zinger so this is one i didn't prep before Okay. Uh, so you you work in deliverance ministry in the Des Moines diocese. <laughs> yes. Do you ever have kids in the Catholic in the school or parish ask you about it? What do they think about that? Uh, yes, kids are fascinated by it. Um, you know, as they of course they're associating it oftentimes with what's on you know the movies and media and all that. And and um, there's kind of a uh, it's not just kids really. People in general tend to be kind of fascinated with um, kind of the supernatural elements of those of that ministry. Uh, or what they perceive to be that. Um, but as, as actually, I, I always try to engage them in a way that helps them to grow in their, a real deeper understanding of what that ministry is all about and uh, kind of move away from kind of the, the titillating aspects of all that to uh, draw them into the realities of what it means to have a, a deep relationship with Christ and stuff. So, um, but but it's a, it can be a good kind of hook for engaging young people. So yeah, they... they they're always fascinated by it. They like to hear the stories and, but I always keep bringing it around to, you know, how do they grow in their relationship with Christ to, uh, mm-hmm. you know, find real freedom in their own hearts, uh, freedom from the things of the world, freedom from the evil one, freedom, you know, from their own sin and brokenness and fear and, and just find a fullness of life in Christ. So that's, I guess that's how I approach it. Well, we just finished uh, speaking with Father Dave Fleming, and uh, Father, let me say thank you on behalf of everyone at Chattachesis, and sounds like you're doing some wonderful things there with confirmation, sounds like you have a nice harmony between parish and school and supporting young people, and it sounds like you're using deliverance ministry as a kind of a Pied Piper way with the little kids, and that's great because uh, it's a hook, as you say, and it gets them thinking about their faith, and, and as you say, really focusing on their relationship with God, how important that is, so thank you for your time, Father, and if it's okay, I'd like to ask you for a blessing for myself and our listeners. Thank you. Loving, gracious God, we ask your blessing upon uh, Matt and all those who are listening to this podcast, um, that they may be uh, find proofless in their ministry, that your most Holy Spirit continue to guide, guard, and direct their hearts and their lives, that they may give faithful witness to you. May Lord bless and keep you. May his face shine upon you. May he bring you peace now and always. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. That's the end of this episode of Chattachesis. I'm your host, Deacon Matt Hallback, and look forward to being with you next time. God bless. Thank you for listening to another episode of Chattachesis. Head over to sadlyreligion.com forward slash podcast to hear more. And don't forget to request your sample and trial of Christ in Us and our bilingual edition, 
Cristo and the Sotros at sadlyreligion.com forward slash CIU.